Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we continue season previews. We bring on one of our oldest, most favorite friends, arguably our, our very most favorite friends, since I know Cam Underwood isn't listening to this. How are you? You want to tell us about our friend? Dan Rubin, bceagles.com. Daniel. Boys, I'm exhausted, <laughs> but it is the best type of exhaustion. So I'm just going to come out and say it that I am. Uh, that I'm I'm a little punchy. I've been up since 4 a.m. Let's have some fun. What, would you care to share with the folks what's making you so exhausted, Dan? Oh, you know that was the uh, that's the three month old in the house, mm-hmm. um, which which Joey, I know you and I have been going back and forth sharing the tales of uh, of uh, of of what it's like to have the infant who <laughs> who just who who just loves to smile. <laughs> and it's the greatest thing ever. I can't wait for Mike to hopefully one day join us in this endeavor where That's he will know plan. that it's the that it's the you just don't sleep and you don't care. Yeah, there there is there is nothing better in the world than the smile of, of your your little infant looking at you. There are there are some things better in the world than when that happens at three in the morning. I'll say that. <laughs> I did say I did say that it is perfectly acceptable to say that not everything about being a parent is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I will say the three AM she thinks it's time to play might actually be on top of that list. <laughs> yep. Uh, I would like to tell you it gets better sometime soon, Dan, but instead we're gonna talk about the Boston College Eagles this fall. Uh <laughs> Uh, this is an interesting year, I guess I say it's an interesting year for everybody. It's an interesting year, of course, for Boston college going into year two under Jeff Halfley. Um, we'll, we'll start here is that I felt like coming into last year, I didn't really get this hire. I was not very inspired by it. I, the coordinator hires I thought were kind of weird. Like they're bringing a whole bunch of like traditionally NFL guys to try to run a college program. And I just didn't, I I was of the opinion that that wasn't going to translate, but I'll be damned if, if we weren't proven wrong by what we saw from the staff last year. There was a, a pretty clear jump in quality. I felt like across the board and how the how the game you know how the team performed. Um, my question to you is, and there's multiple ways to approach this. Is how long do you think Jeff Halfley is around the Boston College program? Oh, forever. Um, <laughs> I, I mean that entirely. I, I hope that we can like hook him up and keep him in his early forties forever. Um, no, I, I think he, I do think he is entirely committed to Boston college. It's kind of one of those weird things that when you, you know, I, I, I get that, that over the past 20 years, anytime there's been a, a coach who has been a very good coach, uh, you know, they start to mention, where's he going to go? It happened. Uh, Tom O'Brien left for NC state. Uh, Jeff Jagodzinski interviewed infamously for the New York jets job. Uh, 
Frank Spaziani was a career uh, coordinator that, that just didn't work out in the end uh, with, with the two and 10 season. And even after a couple of years, uh, you know, even though the, the Steve Adazio era ended the way that it did uh, after the first couple of years of stabilizing the ship, I remember there was talk about where he was going to go. And what you found out was that he was really committed to BC. And I think Jeff Athley is also very committed to staying at Boston college. I think they see the potential of what Boston college can become what it was uh, being able to do that and build a college football culture in Massachusetts. It's a, you know, it is a football crazy area. And I think they see the, you know, the very, the very good potential of the program. And, you know, the, Massachusetts has a lot to offer to a younger guy who, who has a, who has two young daughters. I mean, when you're talking about raising a family, this is probably the, one of the best areas in the country, if not the best area. I know I'm biased. I grew up up here, but you know, it's, it's probably the best area in the country to raise a family. And I think when you, look at what he's what he wants to do what he wants to accomplish he he sees it and and would love to stay here and and you feel that when you talk to him or you see him around bc and you see him around the areas he's very visible he's very approachable and and he genuinely is has fostered in one season a, a love of bc what do you think it is about him that makes him be able to recruit early on the way that he has in an area traditionally where there's not a lot of college football talent and there's not a lot that traditionally draws people to playing college football, like talented players to playing college football in the Northeast. But it feels like he's found a way to do that. Yeah, he definitely has. I think when you look at the rankings and, and the guys we brought in this year um, for in this year's class that, that, are, that are arriving as freshmen, um, you know, there, there was a lot of work and there was some leg work and, and, and elbow grease in there that I think was was impressive. Uh, first off, it starts with facilities and commitment from the university, which is reaching unprecedented levels at BC. Uh, the field house is a, is a big part of that what they can do in the field house. I mean, you're not going to have a robotic locker room like you, like you see in other areas, but you can, if you're coming for football, the weight room in the, in the field house is a, is a big part of it, what they can do, what they do do at practice. Uh, and then in just a conversation with them about being able to recruit it, don't forget he did that all the recruiting that everyone is lauding him with without the ability to bring people onto campus. So, I mean, you're, that's a credit to the recruiting staff, people like Joe Sullivan, who's the recruiting coordinator, Hannah Femi, I know is, is a big role in that. These are people whose names no one hears, but they put together the the packets and they put together the presentations and the Zooms and the, the meetings with the right people and, and let the university sell itself, even if you're not able to visit. And, you know, this is still, uh, like I said, one of the best areas, if not the best area in the country to come to. You get your four seasons and you can play competitive college football. And with the player development, what they're able to do about sending guys to the NFL with Halfley's background, with his assistant's background, I think it's all coming together to be this really special thing that he is able to put together. And I realize it kind of puts a dreamer spin on it when you're like, oh, they're putting together this thing that's really special. He's found every component that he can tie together of being a Northeast guy and putting it all together and has said, Hey, look, you know, we can do this in Boston and, and we are, you know, and that's honestly, that's probably one of the, the bigger miscalculations I've made. And I, I probably need to recalibrate a little bit is that like 15 years ago, you bring in a guy from the NFL who's mostly spent time in the NFL and, you, and the, the thought would be, well, he doesn't know how to recruit. He hasn't had to recruit, you know, all this stuff. Whereas nowadays, more often than not, honestly, just being able to point and say, I was in the NFL, I coached in the NFL, I know what it takes to play in the NFL. 
that's a recruiting pitch by itself, you know, and, and that's something that resonates with a lot of high school players that they or even transfers, you know, that might want to come in and join the team. So that's, that's it's clearly something that's made an impact immediately, as, as you and Mike kind of mentioned here. Um, I, one of the things, too, that I, I think pretty clearly <laughs> benefited this program from the out from the, the outset here under under Jeff Halfley was obviously bringing in a transfer quarterback last season. Um, and a guy who I, I feel like more often than not these days, you know, you hear about transfer quarterback, this and that, and it's just like, okay, well, it didn't work out at the old place. I, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll work at the new place, but probably not. Needless to say, Dan, it worked. Sure did. Um, you know, the funny thing with, with Phil Jerkovic was that, you know, when, when BC played Pitt, I'll never forget in the press conferences, all the Pitt media coming in and they all want to talk about fine Richmond high school. And he was a state champ down there. And, and obviously it was a huge, huge deal for him to come out of high school and go to Notre Dame. Um, that was a, that's a huge deal and, and you never want to discount it, but it didn't work out for him. And I think he, he kind of felt that and said, I want to try something somewhere else. And I think he might've mentioned it at some point last year. He was just like, Jeff Halfley, you know, made it clear that he wanted me to be his guy. I would have to win the job, but he wanted me to be his guy. And offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti, who was a, a Green Bay Packers quarterbacks coach, uh, you know, was able to, a former NFL coordinator, was able to sell him on some of the concepts that have trickled down into the college game and, and built the offense around Phil's skill set, which, when you're talking about a six foot five quarterback, what's the remember the old commercial with Peyton Manning, six five, laser rocket arm? Like that's what you're dealing with with a guy like Phil Dracovic. Like he's a guy who can go out and throw three hundred yards and three touchdowns. Like it's nobody's business. And you know, dealt a little bit, took a, took a few pops last year and missed a game at the end against Virginia. And and I think he got knocked out at one point against Clemson, but came back and his numbers kind of petered off once he once he adjusted. But this is a guy who had a lot to offer, learned a playbook on about let's see, he transferred, then didn't know if he was going to get the waiver for a while, was installed as the starting quarterback pretty much the week of the first game, went out and threw for 300 yards. He now has a full offseason, and that's something that he didn't have the benefit of last year because no one had a real offseason last year. And, you know, that's that's something that when you look at this BC team, you have a quarterback who is the right quarterback to run that pro-style spread and chuck the ball around and, and run if he needs to. So unique unique athlete, great kid. And, uh, you know, everyone is expecting some really spectacular things from him. And it is not out of the ordinary to say, if you want to be what people say BC can be this year, he's going to produce, he has to produce, and he has to produce on the level of guys that, you know, you don't typically hear BC quarterbacks name mentioned against of like a, like a Sam Howell or like a DJ Galele. Sorry if I completely ruined that with my Boston accent. Big Cinco, I believe. Yeah, we'll go with that big Cinco. He needs to produce at that level if you want to see BC do what people say BC is capable of. So I'm going to ask you this question kind of along the same lines. We had Nate Minkon from Syracuse.com to preview Syracuse, and we were talking naturally about Dino Baber's job security after having one win against Georgia Tech last year. Got to sneak that in there, Joey. Sorry. <sighs> Tough Sorry. but fair. Tough but okay. fair. All right, fair enough. But anyway, we were asking Nate about Syracuse and kind of what to expect if things go south. And kind of the precursor to that conversation was, you know, Dino Babers inherited a program that was kind of a mess, not like a one-win mess, but they were pretty bad 
and they had Eric Dungy, who was banged up for most of his career, and Dino inherited that. And by year three, all of a sudden, Eric Dungy looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country statistically, which was wild, a wild development. And it was pretty crazy how they peaked, and now they've never really been able to capture that magic from the 10-win season in 2018. So my question for you, Dan, is what is there out there right now around the Boston College program that will make them different from Syracuse? Well, two things. Um, one is that, that you have Jeff Halfley, who I think is, is one of the most unique coaches I think I've ever had a conversation with and his passion for BC, his passion for his players and, and just the way he approaches things uh, in a press conference and the way he connects with people. I, he is, I know that I'm echoing a lot of what, you know, you saw out of other coaches and specifically if you're going to bring up Dino Babers with Dino Babers had that first year when they beat Clemson and, and all of that, like there's, there's a lot of that feeling, the connection to a coach an emotional coach. That's not just, you know, fiery, but is passionate. Um, so I think that is one thing that you have in Jeff Halfley that I think is unique to Halfley. It's his own brand of passion. Um, two is, you know, when you look at the struggles that other teams have had over the years or having a, a built-in infrastructure versus what BC accomplished last year, BC accomplished almost a complete revamp built around the players that they were bringing in, which is very different than saying, you know, with, with Eric Dungy or, or Dungy or, or I never remember how to pronounce his last name. He he was Dungay. I don't remember he was, where the emphasis was. Where, Mike, where Mike, he's been awake since was. four a.m. Let, let hey, go. So, let go. Hey, hey, so, in your in your defense, in your defense, Dan, he's he was Dungy for the first couple <laughs> years of his career. So. I I lo- I mean I love that orange is the new fast offense when he ran it it was it was fun to watch and and when you but when you looked at some of those teams and you look at the way that it was built and you had built in guys Halfley Signetti Tem Luca Tem Luca Boo when they brought these guys in or they brought in certain guys or they rebuilt the team completely from scratch during a pandemic without practice without playbooks. I mean, they being able to install it the same way and they did it with personnel who did not have a role in the older offense short of maybe Hunter Long in the offensive line. The the offense needed to come move beyond the A.J. Dillon era. It did by completely switching, found a new quarterback, new wide receivers. Nobody on that 2020 team caught a lot of passes or ran the offense for the 2019 Boston College team but they will all run the offense for the 2021 Boston College team. That's what's going to make BC different from teams that say, all right, we'll build it up to year three and then try to contain it. And then separately, when you look at what BC is trying to accomplish on the recruiting trail, getting those guys in by revamping it. I always thought, hey, look, this is what BC is. Power football, get the right guys in, smart guys. We're going to develop them and always have a strong running back and then throw for a couple thousand yards a year. And instead I was wrong, like completely blown apart and completely mind blown at what BC is trying to do. Now it looks and feels like a completely different program and it only took one season. Yeah. I mean, I, I forget exactly what the, the split was in terms of like the run pass balance but it, like in one season, they went from like 60% run plays to like 
57% pass plays or something. I mean, it, it swung quickly and, you know, Dan, like one of the things that you can only do that if you have the supporting cast around you to do it. And I mean, that's one of the strengths of Boston college coming into this year. They're, they're returning what 81% of their production, including almost everything on offense with the exception of Hunter long. And, and I mean, two all two preseason, all ACC offensive linemen. But to me, the guy that I, I don't really consider him a household name outside of certainly outside of the ACC, but maybe even just outside of like the Atlantic division, but my gosh, one of the most special and impressive players that really broke out last year was Zay Flowers. Preseason All-ACC wide receiver. It seems like he kind of played some sort of like hybrid scat back kind of role in 2019. Becomes a full-time wide receiver in 2020. And holy cow, is that kid good. Yeah, he's, he's special. And, uh, you know, you go back to 2019 and that offense, he also had to learn how to play receiver at the college level. I know that when you take a younger guy sometimes who has natural speed or natural natural ability, you're you're telling him, hey, just just run a flag route, just just run a post, just just run up the field and we'll throw the ball to you. What he did last year, which was very different, was all right, we're gonna run curls, we're gonna run option slants, we're gonna run wheels out of the out of different sets and try to get you open. You're going to have to get yourself open. You're not just going to have to rely on your speed, but then when we want to, we can go down the field. Now the first game, they just went downfield. I mean, they had a stripped down offense against Duke and it wasn't pretty, but it wasn't, you know, complex. It was, it was pretty, but it wasn't complex. And then later on in the year with Zay, they finally started, all right, we're going to try to do this with you. We're going to make different plays. And then he made plays in space and he made guys miss. And it was really special to watch his development, even over the 11 games, and what he was capable of doing, you look at him this year, again, full offseason, full time working with a quarterback in, in the offensive system. And you say, all right, this is a guy who developed over an 11 game season. Let's see what he can do with a spring practice, with a spring game, with a full training camp. That's not, you know, the weird June to September training camp from last year. Let's see what he can do and do it with a quarterback that he knows he can play with as opposed to last year where he didn't know who the starting quarterback was until Phil got that waiver. Defensively, it was a little bit of a struggle, Dan, right? Like it was hot and cold. You say it yourself before we hit record. Boston College forgot how to defend against a dual threat quarterback there. (laughs) Really had problems there. Really had problems there. (laughs) And so (laughs) does that get fixed? Um, I sure hope so. Um, I think there was at one point uh, towards the end of the season, I actually wrote it and I said, you know, that it was a, uh, well, they got one more shot to stop a dual threat quarterback. And uh, I think it was actually the Virginia game and they lost to Virginia. So it was all right. Well, hopefully you don't see, I mean, they've just struggled against dual threats. I don't know what it was last year, but they just struggled with them. I would like to believe this year that you're going to get substantially better as an overall uh, target. I mean, the coaching staff's just too good. I mean, just the way that they approach it and the way that they approach the game together. Um, it's too good to, again, with a full off season to be able to stress certain things. You have to replace production in the linebacker core, but you're bringing in some good transfers um, and you got a very good secondary. Halfley's a defensive guy. He's a defensive guy. He's a secondaries guy too. So, I mean, it, it, this is one of those things that you come into the season and you say, all right, you struggled against this last year. Don't struggle against it this year and answer the question early. And then we'll just put it to bed and move on and build upon it, build upon it, build upon it because you don't want to have those same questions creep in in week one, week two, when the only thing that you know going into those first two or three weeks of the season 
is what happened last year and there is no other book on your defense. So you end some of those questions early and just move on from it. You get better and you just show that, again, the extended offseason, the real offseason helped you out and, and you got better at, at stopping those things that you were cold against. Continuing with the defense here, Dan, one of the stronger pieces of it, and I know that, I mean, it was a flawed unit. It finished 98th in defensive S&P Plus last year, but, you know, there were some bright spots there in the secondary, and this offseason they add a pretty solid piece to that secondary room, and Jaden Lars would be from Florida State. I mean, between him and other transfers, reasonable to think there's a decent boost being provided on that side of the ball? Oh, yeah. Um, so Jaden Lars would be, I think he, he was a, a freshman All-American at Florida State and Jeff Halfley and his coaching staff actually had a prior relationship with him at Ohio State. Matt Thurin, who is the uh, who's the special teams coordinator at BC, was uh, was the guy who helped recruit him to Ohio State. But then Jaden chose FSU over Ohio State. I think some other schools were in the mix, too, like the Oklahomas and USC's of the world. There's a guy who's a five star recruit who played a couple of years at Florida State, lost his starting job and and sought a new opportunity. So he's coming into BC with two years of eligibility. I mean, that's a guy that is, I mean, you're talking about a six-foot defensive back with speed and physicality. He's He could be a real monster in this defense. And again, he's getting the fresh start under Halfley, who his staff recruited him to Ohio State. And if he was good enough to to consider them, I mean, that's a, that's a unique, really special, special guy. And, you know, I'm really interested to see how he plays opposite Deion Jones, a guy like him. Deion Jones was very good in last year's defense as a transfer. Um, he's a graduate that's back. He's six foot, 200 pound. You're bringing size, physicality from those transfer guys. And some of these guys just got like, they just got the it factor when you talk to them and, and they're just so, so, so good. Um, by the way, Jaden Lars Woodbay, um, I was thinking about this. He went to high school with uh, Big Cinco, with DJ Uyagalele mm-hmm. at St. John Bosco. And uh, I actually learned this when we interviewed him when he transferred and came to BC. He, or spring practice, he, th- there's a Netflix special, uh, QB1 Under the Lights, I think it's called. He was in that at St. John Bosco. He laughed and said, uh, I was like, what's that like, you know, when, you, when you're when you on something like that? Because he was an All-American in high school. And he was like, well. My mother wasn't too thrilled with some of the language I used. <laughs> so he's a good kid coming in from California. I think that people are going to be a lot of, I think people are going to be uh, pretty happy with him. Can't believe there'd be like a 17 year old with a foul mouth. Un- unthinkable. <laughs> it's, it's real shocking. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but I remember laughing and he was like, I watched it. It was weird at times and you forgot the cameras were there. And then you like mentioned watching it with his mom. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's the, that's that's going to be a little tough for you. Whoops, um, <laughs> Dan. I uh, there's one question that we kind of glossed over on the offensive side. I hate to jump around, but the one question that we glossed over is how do you replace a guy like Hunter Long, and how do you find consistency with the pass catching options now that you don't have that guy to really open up the middle of the field? Um, two words, Trey Barry, six foot six, 250 pounds of Jacksonville state FCS, all American. Hell yeah. Um, I'm, I'm all in on this kid. I, he's a graduate transfer. He had 500 yards last year and 30 catches. I mean, this kid's got, got some talent he was, uh, and he came out, he was only a two-star guy out of high school and made himself and hit, hit the transfer portal and he's at BC. Uh, no, but 
beyond him, uh, you develop more with your receivers. Um, so you, you get big receivers. You get guys like CJ Lewis, 6'3". Um, he's back. He's a redshirt senior. Um, you get guys like Ezekiel Tide, who's six foot two, who I'm expecting maybe to take a jump. I remember his name came up a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think he made a, a huge splash last year. I don't remember seeing him too much, but you know, it's just interesting guys who you might see show up. Uh, Kobe is back. Kobe White. He had a knee injury that kept him out last year. I think it was a knee. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but he he's back as a as a graduate student. Yeah, it was a knee injury that kept him out. Um, I'm. I mean, he's just pure intelligence he's like bc's answer to troy brown used to be like you just get him open and he just knows how to run the offense and you know you'll find something in your tight ends where you get you know big dudes who can catch the football um or can block and you maybe you evolve a little bit um i'll tell you what the the guy you're you're never gonna miss you're you're, gonna, you're never gonna see someone quote replace hunter long i remember first time i saw him he was i said all right 6'6", he projects to a 6'6", 250-pound tight end with speed. The minute I put his measurables up against another guy, he actually had similar measurables on his combine, like hands, you know, that stuff, to Gronkowski. And you're like, all right, I don't know that anyone's ever going to be another Rob Gronkowski, but when you're measuring the same size hands and weight and speed, like, all right, there's there's a unique guy there. But I, I hope that they do spread the ball around a little bit more and, and how Phil – Jerkovic gets better will then in turn translate to who sees the ball more just get open he'll find you schedule wise I think there's there's two interesting points to be made here number one being the out-of-conference schedule Colgate at UMass at Temple home against Missouri I, I, it would I would be hard-pressed to think that that's anything less than three and one and getting Missouri at home is a very winnable game in my mind the second is if you look back at the schedule from last year versus this year, you're not playing North Carolina. You're not playing Notre Dame. That was too, I mean, also for what it's worth, you're not playing Virginia. Those were three of your, of your losses last year. I mean, there's, there's only one game on this schedule to me that doesn't really look particularly winnable. And that's the game they almost won last year in Death Valley against Clemson. Shout out John Tessitore, by the way, for the play of the year on that one. Or actually, shout out Phil. Uh, I'm sorry, Dennis Grossell coming cold off the bench and completing a fourth and sixth during that game too, and then going right back off after Phil Dracovic got banged up. That was that was still my that was that to me was the paramount Chef's kisses Dennis Grossell moment, even more than the 520 yards he threw against Virginia. Guy comes off Dan, cold. Dan, I saw Dennis Grossell play quarterback in 2019 against Clemson in Death Valley. That was the singular worst quarterback performance I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he threw 520 yards against Virginia, and he's one. Of, I actually love the kid. He's 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 so smart, and you knew that with the with the right development or right seasoning and the right system, he. They, I mean, they cooked up a, a pretty special performance. But I will say this. Um, so here's the thing about the schedule, and here's the thing: you guys know me going on 10 years, probably at this point. And Jeez. you guys know, yeah, we're all old. It's about right. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys know, how often do I make a record prediction? Uh, not since you've started working at the current gig, for sure. <laughs> yeah, working for the <laughs> university changes things a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me put it to you this way. You're picked third in the Atlantic Division. You look at the non-conference schedule at the beginning. So if you're, if you're third in the division, that means that everybody expects you to beat 
every divisional opponent besides Clemson and NC State. And you're opening up with those four non-conference games. And to be honest, if they don't go three and zero, then the third is a paper is a paper third place. You you can't be third in your division by losing to Temple on the road. That's just that simple. Or UMass, you can't lose to UMass in general. You're in you're in the state. Like you just you can't do that. You can't go out to that's their Super Bowl. You can't UMass has not won more than four games since they came to FBS. You can't lose that game. Now they're going to play that game like it's a hair on fire. So I mean they could come out. I mean they've they've punched a couple of teams in the mouth before and lost in the end. So you're looking at those games, but you cannot lose one of those games. That's just that simple. Yeah, those Missouri, are Yeah, Missouri. Honestly, I don't know anything about Missouri, so I'm not I'm, I'm not going to predict anything. But then they're in the SEC, Dan. They're in the SEC, and I I actually as of last week said, wait, Missouri weren't they in the Big Twelve? So it shows you where my head's at half the time. Thanks a lot to my child for completely mixing up my conference affiliations lately. Turns out um, almost everybody's in the kid. SEC now. <laughs> yeah, that, that poor that poor kid. Yeah, she already I, her first word is going to be halfly, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> not Jerkovic. So <laughs> So, but then, you know, it's funny is so if you're if you if we're going 3 and 1, 4 and 0 oh, or we're saying that in the first four games, guess what those next two games are? Clemson and NC State. So you're going to know by middle of October if those preseason prognostications are right. Now, you guys know I'm always going to sit here and say, hey, look, you, you can't predict October until you get through September. And I really do believe that you go out the first game and you lose half your team to injury in the first three weeks. All of a sudden, that Clemson game becomes a lot more daunting than it did before, the, you know, with a full two complements, a healthy roster. Clemson, I thought was going to be a blowout last year. And then, you know, the day before the game, as I'm by the way, two days before the game, I had my entire preview written, submitted, and then they announced Trevor Lawrence was out for that game. I was so angry that night. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and rewrite like 1,400 words. I was oh, yeah. so mad. I was so mad that night. Um, anyways, the Clemson NC State. So then you get through that. And let me tell you something. If you, if you win those first four games and you're healthy and then you go five and one or you've beat Clemson and NC State, all of a sudden, we're talking about BC in a completely different stratosphere than, you know, if they lose both of those games and then you worry about Louisville and, and Syracuse and the basketball conference gauntlet of Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech and then Florida State, Wake Forest. But if you go through that and all of a sudden we're talking about them on October 23rd and we're saying, hey, this team's five and one or six and all if they're six and all at that point, we're talking about them as a potential national championship contender. Well, as a playoff team. The other thing I, w I was going to say is that if, if you're looking for some semblance of scheduled difficulty here, I will say that those last three games in November at Georgia Tech, home against Florida State, home against Wake Forest, I mean, at least two of those teams you're playing at the time you'd rather not play them. I mean, Georgia Tech and Florida State are both teams I could see getting a good bit better through the year. You'd kind of rather play them early than late. Um Again, maybe I'm just grasping at straws here. Wake Forest, again, also may well be pretty good this year. A lot of seniors, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, again, I'm probably just grasping at straws trying to create some some aspect of schedule difficulty because, I, I mean, there's, there's really only one game on here that is not particularly winnable for Boston College. The rest of them are at least toss-ups, if not layups. 
so yeah, I don't know anything about Missouri. I don't even know how they what their record was last year. I haven't looked at them. I, I don't I don't know enough to say anything about them. I will say that any trip to Death Valley, if you go into Death Valley expecting it, from the outside, I mean, if you're a team and you go in expecting not to win, then you've already lost before you kick the ball off. But if you're one of us, I mean, it would be disrespectful to Clemson to say, yeah, BC's going to go down to Clemson. If anyone's going to go down to Clemson and beat them the way they've been the last five years, it's a disrespect factor that that you just don't give the defending conference champions who've been to a playoff for the last four years. You look at some of the other ones. I never like road trips to Louisville. There's something about that stadium playing them on the road. It's a hard road trip for a team from Massachusetts to, to head down there. The weather's always kind of wonky. I feel down there. Like I feel like Kentucky in October, like it could be 30 degrees and raw and it could be 80 degrees and blistering warm. Um, weird things happen against Syracuse and that rivalry. I know, Syracuse struggled last year, but BC has lost to them and BC struggled against them last year. I know it fell in between the Notre Dame and Clemson games, but Syracuse, weird things happen in the dome. And, you know, you get down the end of the season, Virginia Tech, those games are always battles. I mean, what, Mike, what have they finished the last like five? It was it been like, I think one game has been two touchdowns or more. Yeah, it's it's back and it's back and forth. And I like that draw for BC getting Tech at home on a Friday night. I mean, if you're going to get them on, if you're going to have a short week, is, that always is going to favor the home team. Yeah, that, and that's a tough trip for them. Is that the yeah, coming Band- on the flight? Is that the Red Bandana game? Uh, hasn't been announced, so I don't know if I don't know which game it is. Um, I can tell you that it is either Virginia Tech, Florida State, Wake Forest, NC State, Missouri, <laughs> or Colgate. There we go. It's right, be that narrows else. it down. <laughs> um, the one thing I will say at the end of the season is the road trip down to Georgia Tech is a little bit easier than I think people give it credit for because the direct flight to Atlanta. Um, sorry, I know that came out wrong, Joey. I'm making say, you do laugh. Do tell, do tell. <laughs> I, it's an easy Boston to Atlanta is a direct flight. It's an easy flight. Um, you know, it's only a couple of hours. And I know Georgia Tech relation to it's not like when you have to go to virginia tech and you fly to what roanoke or one of those names to take a bus 40 minutes yeah Yeah, out into the mountains you're you're right in atlanta um and it's your last road game before you come home in florida state you're at home in november and history has taught me the teams from florida really hate coming up here in november especially late november before thanksgiving it's liable to snow up here in late November at that point. And, and Miami struggled during those two thousands when they were a national championship team, they barely beat BC one year in the cold um, Florida state. I remember one year with baseball came up here and lost a game in the snow, like, or played a game in the snow in like early March. And they were just mad that they were up here in the, you know, swinging an aluminum bat and 30 degree wind chills. So <laughs> it's, it's, it, there is that factor, which I remember actually a couple of years ago when game day was up here, uh, Desmond Howard said something like that when he picked BC over Clemson and said that cold smacks you in the face, man, it does. It's a whole other brand of cold up here when you're getting it off the ocean. So in Wake Forest at the end of the year, look, if you're in a position to do something special and you go into that last game, you you can't take it lightly. I think that happened in Miami against Pittsburgh a couple of years ago after they'd already clinched the coastal. Uh, you can't take that lightly. And that's provided you get to that point, right? So if you, again, you go out and you lose one of these games in the beginning of the year and when it, November's November, you're playing for a bowl. You're, you're hopefully going to draw the Fenway Bowl so you can play at home in Boston during, during you know the day before Christmas or whenever that is. And otherwise, you know, if you get through those first four or five games and you're, 
rocking and rolling. And then you look and say, all right, you buckle down and get those, get those last five, second half of the season going week to week. And you can maybe do something special. There is a direct road, which is rare for me to say where, when you're picked third in the division, there is a direct road, especially with that Clemson NC state draw back to back in October. That is the, that is the loudest bravado. I think anyone has ever gotten out of me. (laughs) I'm saying it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, Joey, what do you think here? Before I I pick or before I make a record prediction, I I am gonna make a, a bold prediction here, Mike, and I want you to write this in your notebook. Um, oh, okay, all right. I am going to predict that going into that Georgia Tech game in November, I am gonna have a strong opinion on how that game ends up. Now, yes. Depending on how things go for either of these teams, that might be that I will be very convinced that Georgia Tech is gonna win that game. It also might be that I'm convinced that Georgia Tech is going to get their teeth kicked in in that game. So one way or the other, I'm going to have a strong opinion on that game. We'll, we'll put a bookmark in that and come back to it here in a couple months. Um, Record-wise, I, I mean, I gotta, I'm thinking at least 8-4, and four, if not 9-3. and three. There's a, I'm going to go 8-4. and four. I'm going to go 8-4, and four and it's, it's – I think, I think the upside clearly is there. I mean, the, the real, real upside is like eleven and one. Like that's that's on the table with this schedule and this this team and what we saw from them last year. Again, there's only one game that's really truly particularly an uphill battle from the start. The other eleven, if they all kind of come up, you know, come up Eagles, like man, like that that's all doable. So I'm gonna go eight and four, and the reason is just there's I had this sneaking suspicion or this. There's this nagging thing to me that, you know, we, we got really high on BC and how good they were as early as they were last year. And and we saw this turnaround and we saw this improvement and, and all this stuff. And there's just a part of me that wonders if some of that was a weird COVID year, B, a little bit of what I'll call fool's gold, you know, like how sustainable is that growth for a second year here into 2021 and all that. So I'm going to go eight and four. That, that's probably a little pessimistic of me and it's you know what if you disagree i i totally get it but i'm gonna go eight and four uh dan we know that you don't make picks on this podcast from a record standpoint so mike where do you can't make picks you can't make picks in massachusetts i think is the rule right is that (laughs) something like that um can neither confirm nor deny any of this (laughs) yes uh hey man those those paychecks got a cash i understand I can say I can say that there's actually a chance that BC wins more football games than the Patriots this year. So I'm gonna go stick my head in a door frame after I actually say that. Oh, you poor thing. Twenty years I had never been able to say that just because they don't play more than fourteen games in a college football season. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> it's, it's been rough, Joey. It's, it's been, been a rough. tough seven and nine was a tough year, man. Whatever will you Patriots fans do now that they might not make the playoffs one year? Uh, draft a quarterback from national championship winning team, fifteenth overall, without having to trade. Michael, record prediction. Rich get richer, baby. Um, yeah, he's like, please get me out of this podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually also going to say eight and four. I'm going to say eight and four. Let's say four and four in the ACC, which I think my conference record prediction is pessimistic. 
Um, I think that I might be a bit optimistic on the non-conference because I think there's a chance that BC could drop that Missouri game um, or at Temple randomly. Um, not to say that BC isn't better than those four teams. I think they are, but I also think there's it's hard to go 4-0 in the non-conference. It's really hard for Pittsburgh, apparently, who literally has never done that since joining the Big East. That so, stat is keeping me up at night, by the way. Yeah, Dan. So I don't know if you knew that, but Pittsburgh has not gone undefeated in the non-conference since the early 90s, which is astonishing to me. Um, there some good teams down there to have that happen. It's wild. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I'm going to go 8-4. and four. I'm going to say 4-4 four and four in the ACC, and I think that puts BC third potentially in the Atlantic. Um, I think the upside is there as well, though. Um, I could easily see Boston College going like 10 and two and being like the clear second best team in the Atlantic. And then at that point I'm all in on not only I'm, I'm all in on Jeff Halfley already, but it's easy to do that after one year. It's, can you build something sustainable in a market that has not historically been able to produce consistent, college football talent at a high level. Um, that's my, that's my whole thing. I, and I'm with you, Joey. I think my reservations are that, you know, it was a weird year in 2020. Um, you didn't know how a Jeff Halfley team was going to be coached. There's no film with him as a head coach and what his teams look like. That's a good point. Uh, um, so that's, that's kind of where, where I'm at with it. I don't think Boston College will be taking any teams by surprise, nor should they. But I think when you look at what they have returning on offense, even without Hunter Long, you know, you return competent running backs in the backfield, solid pass catchers, a quarterback who's proven that he can play at a high level in the ACC. Um, and if you get some more consistency out of the defense, I don't see why you can't win more of these toss-up games in conference play than you lose. But I want to be proven wrong, so I'm going to go eight and four, four and four. But I do think they have like ten win upside. I don't know if they're good enough to get eleven, but I think they definitely have ten win upside, which would be an incredible first two years for Halfley if he's able to pull that off. So I'm going to say eight and four, four and four in ACC. I'm gonna. I, I didn't get my conference record prediction. I'll, I'll go five and three in the conference. Basically, yeah, that's fair. To say that I, I'm guessing they lose probably to Missouri, um, and that that's a game that SP Plus gives Boston College a 52 percent chance of winning. I mean, so that's a that's a coin flip of all coin flips right there. Um, but again, just like like I believe it was you said, Mike. It just. I mean, it's really tough to go four zero out of conference. So I'll say they go three and one. And then I'm guessing between, uh, you know, I'll go NC State, I think Louisville, you mentioned the road trip to Syracuse, Georgia Tech. I mean, I, I'll guess that they drop at least a couple of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think eight and four, it's really solid. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think probably third in the Atlantic. We'll see previewing NC State and Louisville, how the math all works on the uh, the projected division standings. But as we sit here today recording this, I'm going to say number th third place in the Atlantic division and a, a very, very good year. Number two for Jeff Halfley. Dan is fist pumping. He likes that. 
I like I you know what I like that there is respect for I, I say it every year when every every time the pro, the predictions would come out BC being like fifth or sixth in the division now people are like I like them for third I'm like it's a measure of respect I'll fist pump it it's a measure of respect I mean second place upside for sure I mean I think the race for second in the Atlantic could be one of the more wild races like across college football divisionally and nobody will pay attention to it except for us because everybody just has Clemson chalk every year in the ACC but when you look at these teams in the Atlantic like Wake Forest I agree with you Joey Wake Forest is returning a really good senior laden football team with a really good head coach they could easily step up and be a second best team in the Atlantic out of absolute nowhere to some people, but I could easily see that happen. Um, Boston college with Halfley, NC state, you know, with a healthy Devin Leary for a full season could do, absolutely do it. Um, so there are some candidates there. Louisville may not be as bad as they looked last year. They could bounce back. They could bounce back the Satterfield stuff. It, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on off the field with him looking elsewhere at other jobs and stuff like that. It's been a really weird off season, but they still have some talent coming back there with that football team and they could easily bounce back. Um, so the Atlantic for, for second, the race for second is wide open. It's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out. Well, and, and, and I do want to take this little opportunity as we're 45 minutes into an individual team's preview to point out the fact, Mike, how many coaches are there in the ACC right now? that are like perennial seven and five guys that we talk about as potential firing squad candidates. And, and half the idea is like, okay, but like how much better is it going to get? And the point that I'm trying to make is Boston college fired their seven and five guy. And here we are all jacked up, pumped up about what he's going to be in year two. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. <laughs> New podcast sometimes, motto. motto. Sometimes yep. it works. Yep. And sometimes you stick with it and you get Dave Doran. <laughs> and then you try it again because you're back where you started. Um. Wow, Adasio's back. That's weird. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, that's all I got for Dan. Anything else? <laughs> I think we're good. I think so. Dan, always a treat. Always a pleasure. You need sleep. I'm just telling you that right now. Looking out for your health. Uh, thank you so much as always for joining us. Uh, always very insightful. Some of the best, best Boston college knowledge that we could ever look for Boston college knowledge. Wow. That's a new one. Um, Dan, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? If they're looking for Boston college knowledge, Boston college, I'm trademarking that. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a finder's fee, but I might trademark that for myself. Um, bceagles.com eagles unlimited is a section. Um, some really cool stuff on there, especially this time of year too, just to throw one thing out there. I actually interviewed uh, a guy who swam for, who carried the flag in for Barbados at the Olympics. who is was a swimmer co uh, country record holder, uh, graduate assistant BC's head coach is down there working with him, uh, over there. It's not down. It's West, not South in, uh, in Tokyo. Um, I think he placed like 27th, he, but there's a guy who, you know, stories like that. Those are the ones I get to do in addition to your standard football, basketball stuff, uh, which always is, uh, always is fun to cover the Olympic sports and, uh, at BC Dan Rubin on Twitter. And, uh, you know, as football season gets jacked up here and, and, and gets fired up, I'm, uh, I'm right along with them and, and, and I love it. I mean, they've been phenomenal, to cover just in general in terms, you know, outside the wins and losses, they're just a phenomenally intelligent football team. 
and uh, for coverage wise, they very open, very, very good to read about. And Hey, you might, uh, I can honestly say this. I have learned more about the game of football covering Boston college just by asking guys like about blocking, like you said, twist, what does that mean? And I get a five minute dissertation about blocking. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you can tune into anything, the press conferences that get posted, the articles, you'll, you'll actually learn something about football. I can't, it's fun to say that. I, w- I will say this, Dan, you, you are not one to throw shade at anything or anybody related to Boston College, but boy, are you talking about this coaching staff and this program with a glow about you that I had not heard in previous years. I think that tells us something. It it's It's been, last year was a lot of fun. I know that I was we were all stuck at home, but I mean, we didn't have fans at BC. I was stuck at home the entire time. I set up my press box outside in the hammock. Um, but literally the first game I was in a hammock in my backyard with a laptop in the, in a fire pit going, it was awesome. Um, (laughs) home, home press box. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun covering that team last year and for a number of reasons. And it feels weird to say like no fans COVID, which wasn't a thing at BC for until, you know, late in the year when they, with what they were able to accomplish there. Um, based on what they had for sacrifices, but it was just so much fun. And, and when I think about that and being able to get back this year, you know, they're playing UMass this year, which for me is always a big game uh, because it's in state. And I grew up with a healthy hate for UMass. And and the, the team's named after Joey. Also. <laughs> uh, you know, yep. Temple. Temple's old Big <laughs> East. I'm moving right through that one. Yeah. <laughs> Temple, like old Big East. Like I, I have friends who work at Temple. Like I can't wait. I really can't wait. This is gonna be some of the most fun I've had in a very long time. Dan, you're, <laughs> I think we're, we're losing Mike here. Dan, <laughs> you're the best. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back sometime soon. All right. I love you guys. Love you, Dan. All right, Mike. That's Dan Rubin. Uh, once again, at BC Dan Rubin on Twitter, EaglesUnlimited.com. Go check him out. All things Boston College. Any sort of Boston College knowledge you're looking for, you can go find him there. Great uh, market. <laughs> we're getting out of here. We've got more teams to preview. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, at BC Dan Rubin on Twitter uh, for your guy, Dan Rubin. Uh Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail.com is the yeah, email address. Thank you. Send us questions, comments, concerns. Uh, got a couple emails lately. Appreciate that. Some, some very kind words from some, some of the listeners. So check that out. Uh, iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else you can find our podcast, go find us there. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Hit the follow button. We really appreciate it. Give us a rating. Those are good things too. Mike, uh, you want to tell them where else where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find most of our podcasts here. I got to upload the last couple episodes, so make sure to keep your eyes peeled there. And then on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Well. On the gram. Please on do. On the gram, baby. We got like stories. We got like multi-photo posts. We're pretty much Instagram experts here, Mike. So You can find our podcast there too. That's right. That's right. Link is in the bio, as they say, on the gram. That's right. So check it out there. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? More previews to come. That's right. That's right. Sounds good. All right. Well, for Mr. Dan Rubin, Mr. Mike McDaniel, uh, I am Joey Weaver. Mike, we will talk again soon, previewing the next team. Yes, sir. All right. Well, until then, again, for those guys, I'm Joey Weaver. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.